This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a show and podcast all about screen culture, from movies on the big screen to whatever you're streaming. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and it is an absolute pleasure to be back on the air. Um, huge thank you to Eloise for covering for the last fortnight so I could get some work done, some writing done. Um, I'm joined tonight by the wonderful Cerise Howard. Hello, Cerise. Hi, I'm wonderful. <laughs> you are wonderful. You came here on time. Yeah, <laughs> you helped yeah. with the tech issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this year marks the 70th anniversary of the Melbourne International Film Festival, or MIF. Um, and later tonight, um, we've got a, a long list of some films we're most excited about seeing. Um, so stay tuned if you'd like some recommendations. MIF does kick off this Thursday, um, and uh, it's going to be it's got, it's got the we're having the world premiere of Goran Stolvensky. Stolevsky's of an age, um, which has been described as a heart-meltingly tender, quintessentially Melbourne queer coming-of-age tale that will make you swoon from beginning to end. And this year's festival definitely has a strong focus on Melbourne-made films. In fact, to celebrate the 70th anniversary of the festival, MIF have partnered with Black Ink to produce a collection of essays on Melbourne made cinema, titled Melbourne on Film, Cinema that Defines Our City. The book is a celebration of filmmaking here in Melbourne and it's a tribute to our city's unique creative history. Uh, it is the first collection of its kind and it features the work of writers such as Christos Cholkas, Sarah Krasnerstein, uh, John Safran, Osman Faruqi, um, Judith Lucy, among many, many others. And we are now joined um, by one of the contributing authors, of Melbourne on Film and uh, the author of books Woman of Substances and Everything Harder Than Everyone Else, Why Some of Us Push Our Bodies to Extremes. It's journalist Jenny Valentish. Welcome to Primal Screen, Jenny. Thanks, Vic. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Our pleasure. So, Jenny, there is a tremendous range of films that are discussed in Melbourne on Film. There's uh, John Hillcock's... uh, Hillcoat's uh, Ghosts of the Civil Dead, uh, George Miller's Mad Max. We've got Barbara Creed's Homosexuality, a film for discussion, uh, The Castle, Dogs in Space, and the list goes on and on. Um, Your own chapter focuses on Emma Kate Krogan's 1996 university rom-com Love and Other Catastrophes. Uh, Firstly, how did you first, like, how did you get involved in this project? And how did you, like, what made you choose Krogan's film? Well, Black Ink have put out my my last two books, so I think I was probably on their on their list for that reason. <laughs> but um, this film, um, it's interesting to me because it came out in '96, and I was at university then, but in the UK. Um, whereas this is set at Melbourne University, and it could not be more different to my experience. Because, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because in London in the nineties, it was um, it was all lad culture, train spotting, lager lager, Oasis, um, you know that kind of stuff. Um, whereas this film, I think you could describe it as charming, really. So even <laughs> though you know, I think 
Melbourne had a pretty healthy heroin scene, for instance, at this time. You don't really see that. It's more kind of uh, like a paying homage to screwball comedies of the 30s and 40s. But it's also got a real American influence. It's, you know, it's influenced by grunge music, certainly. That's all over the soundtrack. Yeah, um, absolutely. The soundtrack's amazing. We'll touch upon that in some more detail in a bit, for sure. Yeah, and, you know, everyone's wearing a kind of plaid shirt. It's an op shop chic. Um, but also it, it really owes a lot, I think, to the very small American Gen X genre of films. Um, if you think of things like Reality Bites, um, Slacker, Singles. Absolutely, yeah. Reality Bites was the first for me that um, it really struck as a, a, a kind of key uh, cinematic equal of sorts. Cause, and even just in the in the... the the look of it straight away. But you're right, the tone is quite different and you touch upon that in your article. I think it's really interesting as well that it there's so many film references to this, but the fact that, and you mentioned this again, that Krogan um, is actually more, more sort of... Um, uh, inspired by these in 20s and 30s co- screwball comedies. Um, what do you think, for people who are unfamiliar with Love and Other Catastrophes, how would you describe this film? I mean, we've kind of already thrown out a few descriptors. <laughs> yeah. It's it's uh, all based in one day for a start. So we start off um, in a share house and Mia, who's played by Frances O'Connor, um, she's looking for a new roommate. She's broken up with her girlfriend. So there's the kind of rom-com aspects. Um, but because it's all very Gen X, there's this kind of studied indifference to romance as well. It's all the friends with benefits kind of thing. Yeah. And I think friends with benefits kind of made its debut, cultural debut the year before in the Alanis Morissette song. So, yes. <laughs> uh, so that's very current. Um, but basically she's just trying to swap courses. She's trying to go from, I think, film to cultural studies, uh, and she's running into the, all this kind of, you know, uni bureaucracy and red tape um, and various mishaps and misadventures occur. But it's not like a huge amount happens. It's just this kind of um, lovely sprawling cast of characters. They're all friends um, and basically lots of things you'll recognise, like kind of house parties and great soundtracks and that kind of yeah. thing. But the thing, the idea of not much happening is actually quite quintessential of a lot of films from that time. Like you've already mentioned, uh, Reality Bikes, Clerks is a great one where slackers, um, (laughs) so much of that really capitalised on that Gen X sort of um, apathy, could we say? Definitely. And in fact, I think Emma Kate, well, she did. She said she'd seen Clerks and she thought, well, if they can do it, we can do it. Yeah. So she set out to make this Australian version. And she'd graduated from uh, the VCA uh, and was on the dole. But some of her friends, you know, were attending Melbourne Uni and doing film there. So she just set it there. Um, so it's, it's very true to life. So for my chapter, I interviewed people who'd actually studied film or were teaching film on campus around that time to sort of get their feedback on how much it really reflected. Yeah, because the conversations in the film are, you know, delightfully pretentious. <laughs> it's still, you know... That's accurate for sure. Story. Yeah, I think probably <laughs> much more so than today, perhaps. You know, it was, it, was, um, it was all this very kind of intellectual speak at parties and uh, the people I interviewed for the book said, no, we were like that. <laughs> <laughs> 
I did love that. I used to work at a readings bookstore, and I did. Uh, I did love that. That gets a, a you know is one of the many places, iconic sites of Melbourne that get a mention. Um, actually, all of Carlton, Fitzroy, um, the Nightcat, all of these places in those in those surrounding suburbs um, are brought to the screen. And I suppose that's kind of why this book, um, Melbourne on Film, it's such a delight going back through these films that many of us have watched. You know, like I said, there's there's a huge selection of films that are covered. Um, what do you think it is about seeing our city on, on screen? What, what, what sort of attracts audiences to that? Well, it's almost like, you know, when you're watching a film or something at home, you go down the rabbit hole of Wikipedia and you start sort of looking up everything and everyone. Well, with a book like this, you could actually literally just retrace the footsteps of the characters and you know either there's the nostalgia facts of oh god I wonder if that building's still there yeah or or, yeah you can just um go there now and sort of immerse yourself in, in where those places were set yeah, and I think it is a bit of – I actually went to Melbourne Uni and I'm still studying. I'm trying to finish up my, my film PhD. But I found that um, it's really interesting because it's very particular to the 90s as well. Now, you said – you mentioned before about the soundtrack and mm. I think music plays such a crucial role in, in films like Trainspotting, as you mentioned before. Um, lots of films from those 90s, um, you know, that, where music was so closely tied – and I think it still is in, in different right. ways – so closely Closely tied to this idea idea of so, subcultural style and and kind of capturing a bit of the mood. Um, can you tell us a bit about some of the songs that are featured? And we are going to play some Velvet Underground in a bit. There's Underground Lovers, wasn't there, in a party scene? Um, there's Cardigans on the soundtrack. Yeah. I think there's some Cruel Sea, um, and there's there's a great long house party scene at the end. So you hear a lot of those in that in that scene, and you actually see people dancing to them and. Um, Alice Garner, her character's got like a super eight camera and she's moving through the scene and like filming everyone as they're having these conversations and dancing around. So you're really experiencing the music through their ears in real time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I found that it really, um, I, I kind of really loved the fact that it, 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 um, take, it transports you there. In your, in your chapter, you do refer to it as more of a pop, um, pop album than a movie, and I think that we do see that. Um, another thing that really stood out to me was um, how meta Love and Other Catastrophes is. Uh, you mentioned before that Krogan, of course, had just finished up at VCA. She was on the doll at the time, um, yeah. really, you know, struggling artist. Um, they then, after the fact, got a fair amount of – after making the film, they then got a fair amount of money through um, a, a grant. Is that right? Yeah, so it was shot on a, a real indie budget of 40000 and then they got another 500000 post post-production funding from the Australian Film Commission. And then it did really well at the box office, actually. Like, it grossed uh, nearly 1700000 in Australia. Yeah, wow. Uh, and, it, you know, she, um, Emma Kate wound up going to Cairns and she had to explain to her doll officer why she was going, why she was going <laughs> there. Um, we've got reviews around the world. Um, that pop music quote is actually from one of the reviewers, actually. Oh, is it? Sorry, my yeah. mistake. Yeah, I, I just stood out to me because I, I think that really captures it. And it's interesting how um, – and I don't think it's a criticism. I, I, I do actually think that there's something lovely about the way – how important music is at that point in your life in university yeah. and how um, how different – like you said, you were living in, uh, in the UK at the time and – 
how how different the university experience is that you saw on screen. Um, you did share with us a fantastic photo of yourself and some friends um, <laughs> at, the, at the same year that Love and Catastrophes, other catastrophes came out. Um, I honestly thought when you sent it to me that it was a still from the film. <laughs> it yeah, is on our socials. Band. That was my band at the time, Spy 51, and I'm on the left with barely any eyebrows. <laughs> It's a complete submission. Yes, that was um, that was the look. We all have. Um, <laughs> we're all still repairing from that time. Yeah, and I think fashion and music was a lot more tribal then. You know, mm. so you had to look. We didn't have to look a certain way, but you would look. You would dress in a similar way to your friends, and it reflected exactly which bands you're into. Um, so I was into like surf music and psychobilly, so that was reflected in the hair and in the film. You know, they're they dress up a lot. There's a lot of changing of outfits and um, trying on different things for the party. And it's, it's really beautiful, actually. I really enjoy yeah. that. Yeah. I, um, something that I thought was fantastic, and this film, I mentioned it before being a bit meta, but there's also the um, university lecture scenes in which um, you see that, that tribalism as well in yeah. film tastes. So the lectures being divided up between the students who are Spike Lee fans, uh, Tarantino fans. Um, I can't remember the third director, but I love that idea of tribalism and, and forming a sense of identity. Yeah, the lecture is actually, he's trying to talk to them about, oh, God, what was it? He was trying to he's get like Hitchcock, to, is it? It's someone. Yeah, he wanted them to do, you know, a module on Hitchcock, and they're like, oh, God's sake, we do this all the time. <laughs> and then he suddenly sees them sitting in tribes, um, talking as if they were Tarantino or talking as if they were Spike Lee. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's very much encapsulating that era of, you wear on your sleeve who you are. Yeah. I think there's a certain truth to that. I remember in film school having certain directors that I really idolised and so many of my early forays into filmmaking were very poor imitations of their work. So there's something about using that as a starting point. Yeah. Um, something I wanted to touch upon, your 2017 memoir, Woman of Substances, um, drew upon personal history. Loads um, of it from the 90s. Loads. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I tried to keep a lot of it in the past because it was an addiction memoir and you don't want to bring it too up to speed. Yeah. But, um, but yeah so most of it was, you know, misadventures in the 90s. So it does fit quite well with us. Yeah, and you do actually touch upon that a bit in, in their chapter on Love and Other Catastrophes, the fact that there was this real heroin culture. And we see that in, of course, films like Trainspotting, which were probably the most um, iconic example of that. Yeah. Um, and your recent release, Everything Harder Than Everyone Else, delves into extreme behaviour um, and has been described as a compulsive, sometimes reckless journey of immersive, immersion journalism. Um, it takes an immense amount of, of courage to talk from personal experience and to immerse yourself fully in your subjects. Um, what, what kind of attracts you to, to write in this way? Do you know, I teach memoir now, and I find without fail that the people who are attracted to that as a genre were silenced and censored growing up. Mm. And so eventually, you know, if you just keep, if you're shut down over and over again, yeah. it just has to burst out at some point. And I do feel like I've completely got it out of my system now, which is nice. <laughs> like I've closed the book on the whole era of life. Yeah. So it is cathartic in that sense. And the more recent book was 
you're with me so it's immersion journalism and you, you, you I'm visible but it's you know it wasn't opening a vein or anything like that yeah yeah no that makes that's fair enough to say <laughs> but it, it's it's actually really nice I think it adds a lot to I really enjoyed your chapter um, on love and other catastrophes p- precisely because it fed so much into exactly what your experience of the 90s was and you kind of talk about it very much specific to Melbourne which is really interesting mm-hmm. um, through lots of interviews um, I, I do know that the producer of Love and Other Catastrophes, uh, Yael Bergman, is going to be at the launch of the book, um, which is happening this Saturday at the Wheeler Centre, along with some of the iconic filmmakers and creatives of the films featured in the book, including uh, Richard Lowenstein, um, director, producer and cinematographer David Parker, who did Malcolm. Uh, the, the event is going to be hosted by uh, Miff. MIF programmer Kate Fitzpatrick and you can buy tickets to that event which includes a copy of this book at miff.com.au. Jenny I know you've got the launch of the book uh, this Saturday but what's next on the horizon for you? Uh, I'm working on a um, book slash podcast called Does Not Play Well With Others and uh, it's exposure therapy, therapy for introverts, sociophobes, stuck-ups and awkwards. <laughs> um, so it's basically, uh, I think we can all relate as well, having been in lockdown for a long time and forgotten how to socialise. <laughs> it's basically uh, getting out of your comfort zone and, and putting yourself or myself into really ridiculous situations like being on a bodybuilding stage and going to um, a naturist retreat and just things that just make me want to... I chew my own leg off to escape and make myself do it. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. So is that launching, is that launched already or? No, I'm writing it now. Oh, yeah. wonderful. Okay. Well, we'll keep a very close eye out for that. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Jenny. Thank you so much for joining us on Primal Screen. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Cerise Howard and myself, Flick Ford. And just prior, we spoke with author and journalist Jenny Valentish about her chapter on love and other catastrophes from a recent collection of essays about Melbourne-made cinema titled Melbourne on Film, Cinema That Defines Our City. And if you'd like to grab a copy of the book and hear a discussion with some of the filmmakers and creatives featured in the book, head to miff.com.au to buy a ticket to the launch and the talk that's happening this Saturday. So, Cerise, Mm -hmm. Miff is starting this Thursday and there's an absolute smorgasbord of films, talks and events happening over the next two weeks. Um, so we're here to help you make sense of it, aren't we? Um, to help me? <laughs> Not you, the listeners. Oh, we all need help. The, you know, the program is ever as super colossal. There's a lot to wade through. There is. We can at least give a few pointers. Yeah. I mm. And I think even just getting um, a, a, a sort of an overview of the main streams that have come up um, and, and kind of what to check out. So there'll be some hot recommendations. So get your, your app or your pen and paper ready. <laughs> Get the pen and paper. I've struggled with that app, I have to say. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that. I think I'm the only person in Melbourne who hasn't had an issue, but hey, um, hopefully it gets resolved soon because it does make it a little tricky, especially when you're booking in lots of films. It's, um, yeah, it's hard to juggle it. Uh, We rely on the app. (laughs) I am, I am, uh, I love a good app. Yes. um, Yeah, that one's forever trying to update its ticketing data for me. (laughs) Oh. Oh, the woes. Um, so like I said, there's been a big focus on um, Melbourne, 
Melbourne made films, Melbourne on film. Um, there's a whole whole set of these. We mentioned some of some of these um, films are actually reviewed in in the book that we were just talking about before Melbourne on film. Um, let's go through some of them though. Um, I'm pretty excited by the idea of seeing the club on uh, on on the big screen that is of course set at Vic Park, which is just around the corner from me. Uh, there's also Death in Brunswick. Oh, pardon me, Death in Brunswick, Mad Max, one of my favourites. Um, heaps of them. Um, is there any from that selection that you're particularly keen to see, Cerise? Well, I, I love the audacity of including the story of the Kelly Gang there. <laughs> 1906 film that exists now only in fragments, but which has basically a good claim to being the first feature-length film ever made. Yeah. Um, oh, and that's a that's a fact that yeah. um, often does allow for Melbourne to almost be seen as the city of film. You know, <laughs> we're the first to have the feature length film. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's a powerhouse inclusion. That's a statement. Absolutely. Uh, another statement is including pure shit. One of the most <laughs> notorious of seventies Australian films. Oh, I thought you were making a judgment call. <laughs> no, absolutely not. That's a, a film all about some addicts um, tying back to the previous conversation just had. Um, this is a, a Melbourne heroine film um, with interesting cameos by people like H.G. Nelson and Helen Garner and very clear actual injections on screen. The film is as gritty and grungy as they come and it's uh, just a, an extraordinary portrait of a, a bygone era Yeah, uh, in inner city Melbourne. Um, it's rough as guts and, uh, well, I find it strangely charming. <laughs> <laughs> I was really happy to see noise in there. I feel like that's a real underground um, slow burn, um, wonderful film with amazing sound design, kind of a sound horror, I suppose you could call it. Have you seen that one before? I, ha- I have mm. seen it and, uh, yeah, I think very highly of it too. Um, it's uh, a, a quite unique unique film. There's a bit of police procedural but also sort of just a bitty, bit of gritty western suburban yeah. slice of life stuff, <laughs> a bit of kitchen sink. yeah. And and some drug use, yeah. You know, that, that might be a uniting thread through a lot of the films in this program. I'm um, Head On, which is a you know a, a landmark Melbourne queer mm. film uh, adapting Christos Cholgas's Loaded, a great film. Um, Anna Kokonos, uh, that's a, a, a must. I, I hope yes. there's some cast and crew assembled for for that, and for many of these other films as well. I, I, I think these the the theatres will be vibing really if there's a, that real sense of not just people coming to these films for the first time, but others revisiting them, and also that nostalgia, mm. which can have a real kick to it of you know, and and that that physicality if they're actual folk. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the great things about, um, you know, all film festivals in general, but like MIF especially and it being held in in our city, it's a fantastic festival, easy to attend, but actually seeing films that are capturing our city and seeing them on the big screen is so satisfying and also just a beautiful curation. Like it's a really odd mix if you look at them. I mean, it is... um, a real mixed bag, and I think that really speaks to the wonderful film history that we've got in this city. So I'm personally very excited to check those out, and I hope that they – I can see that a few of them are selling fast, which I love to see. Um, we've also got lots of Aussie highlights that I'm I'm always a big fan of um, checking out 
um, Aussie films. Um, the, one of the ones I'm really, really intrigued by is a film called Shadow. Do you know about this one? Nope. So it's actually a theatre. Uh, it's from a uh, – I'm going to pull it up because I want to make sure that I get this right. The theatre company is called Back to Back uh-huh. um, and it's world-renowned and it's really compelling drama that is from a Geelong-based ensemble. Um, and they're recent recipients of the International Ibsen Award um, and it basically follows the intellectually disabled um, activists who hold this town meeting to weigh up the impacts of AI. And it's it's kind of the, the film ponders whether an AI-led near-future society will further disenfranchise the disability community. It's, it seems like a very odd film that I'm very excited to see that one. Um, other, one other highlights for me as far as the Australian collection go are Elena um, Lodkina's um, Petrol, mm-hmm. which I've definitely – I'm going to be actually speaking with Elena uh, oh, next week. Oh, terrific, because her first uh, feature, Strange Colours, was a, a, a gem. Oh, wasn't it? That has got to be stunner. one of my favourite films. I absolutely adore that one. Um, I'm also really excited for Emil Cotton Wilson's Man on Earth, and I'll also be chatting with him next week to talk a bit more about those films. Um, there's one of the other things that MIF has included is a director in focus. Um, and there's a few ones, um, that I'm excited about and I'm just pulling up all my notes here, but, um, for, I know that one of your faves is included in this series. Yeah. And you're hoping that I'll pronounce the name and you won't have to, aren't you? <laughs> I wish you'd come up with a code so you know. <laughs> yeah. Lucille Haji Halilovic. Thank you. Mm. So, from there's a few of these I've seen. Evolution, I, got that wrong I love. Too, by the way, but did yeah, you? It was near, it was near as enough. Could have got away yeah. with it. Um, I absolutely loved her film Evolution, which came out. I think it was would have been three myths ago. Would that, does that sound about right? Oh, uh, maybe yeah, more. Maybe more. Mm. Um, it depends how you count the pandemic era <laughs> myths <laughs> and, and that period of time. Yeah, yeah it's a bit um, but yes, though. Evolution. Uh, a, a beautifully surreal film, a very peculiar coming-of-age merfolk movie. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't wish to gender them. That gets complex, actually, yeah, it's true. In, in that film. Uh, she, it's, it's a real preoccupation of hers, actually, this sort of particular sort of uh, pubescence. Is mm. it, um, her earlier film, Innocence, quite a lot earlier. There's a big gap there, many years between Innocence and Evolution. Innocence is a stunning Stunning film. Do you know this one? I know of it. I haven't seen it. It's on my list and I actually have booked in to see it for MIF because I I know that I could track it down somehow, but the thought of being able to see it on the big screen I yeah, think do is it. a real delight. It's, yeah, it's yeah. gorgeous. And a quite early role for Marion Cotillard for those who are fans of, of her. She wasn't a big name at the time she was cast in this, I don't think. But um, it's not really about her. It's more about a peculiar fairy tale atmosphere, a sinister boarding school a um, bit of a Bunwellian vibe. People can't really leave. The reasons oh. for that aren't very well explained. And what's going on in the woods, if anything? And what's mm. going on in those tunnels, if anything? <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I love the most about um, the idea of bringing together a director's entire, well, not entire catalogue, although it looks like, is it her entire No, it, it pretty well is. is. I mean, there it? are some shorts. I'm not sure mm. if they're part of the program, but they've expanded it by allowing her to actually 
curate some films to further contextualise what she has. Oh, I saw that. Made. Yes, so her picks are, are wonderful as well. Yeah, who was that? There was a uh, filmmaker that really stood out to me. Is it Marta? Um, oh, I've forgotten her surname. Oh, Marta Messerosh, but that's yeah. not part of that program. Oh, but, okay. but that's another mm. must see for mine. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that idea of contextualising it, much like you kind of would for if you think about a lot of art um, installations or, or uh, exhibitions. The idea of contextualising film, because of course it doesn't occur in a vacuum. No, well, the, her picks include a, a late Czechoslovak new wave film that I adore called Valerie and Her Week of Wonders, mm. which I can so see the links to her own work. It's to do with a, a girl coming of age mm. uh, in a very dreamlike, sinister environment. Uh, it's an adaptation of a surrealist, a Czech surrealist writer's work, uh, Vítězslav Nezval, mm. uh, directed by Jaromil Jiriš. It's a stunning film to behold and really peculiar and just that bit pervy. <laughs> <laughs> they should put that on the film poster. Oh, they probably have. Someone would have already. <laughs> Um, are there any others of the directors in focus that you're really excited for? Well, yeah, you mentioned Marta Meserosz. Yes, She's a very yes. significant Hungarian filmmaker um, uh, with quite a oh, quite a filmography. I think there is, there's a handful of her films. I think they're recent restorations restored by the Hungarian National Film Archive. Um, they're really significant and there's, they're definitely quite feminist. Mm. Uh, she's one of the real key uh, women filmmakers of the 70s. I may have just begun in the late 60s. Don't quote me on that. Uh, 70s and later. And she's still working today. Um, uh, yeah, so that, that's tremendously exciting. Yeah, I, I love that there's – I mean, it, it does – it is quite overwhelming going through these sometimes. And and for people who are unfamiliar with the, with the work of some of these directors – it's probably good just to book in a few if you you know if you've got a share pass I think just book in a few because just to get a sense of of their style and and kind of the tone they're going for um I do I feel like with many of the I get asked for my advice for when people are booking films for myth I always feel as though if you feel as though you you won't be able to track it down online or it's not going to make it have a general release do make sure you book it in. Um, I know those are sometimes the more unpopular films, you know, those kind of slightly, um, you know, left left of centre documentaries, but those are the ones that usually stand out for me. Do you have any sort of um, tips oh, on that? Well, definitely. <laughs> I, I would always steer people towards the restorations and retrospective yes. offerings because they're typically uh, hard to come by, especially on a big screen. Um and and there's there's a reason people have gone to the trouble of restoring them typically or programming a retrospective. Like someone's made a, a, a very clear curatorial decision saying this is worth your time and mm. usually it is. Actually, one of the restorations I wanted to ask you about, um, I've forgotten the name of the title. Is it The Cassandra Cat? Yes, yes. Be. So tell me about this film. I'm not familiar it's um, one of my favourite films. Again, we're, we're back in Czechoslovakia in the 60s, the early 60s this time. Uh, Wojciech Jasny is the director, um, sort of a, a bit of a godfather figure to the new wave that emerged in the 60s and made household names of people like Milos Forman, Jerzy mm. Menzel, Vera Hitilova of Daisy's fame and so on. And um, this is a film shot by the same cinematographer as Daisy's. It's as 
almost as experimental in its play with colour and, and light, but it's basically a fairy tale and very family-friendly, which is to say extremely subversive, <laughs> uh, especially for its time, because it dares to suggest that people might not be what they present themselves to be. And the way that we learn that people sometimes aren't um, oughtn't be entrusted as authority figures, for example, is that a travelling circus comes to a beautiful, picturesque Czech village called Telch, um, and uh, an acrobat is holding a tabby cat wearing sunglasses. And when those sunglasses come off, quite literally, people's true colours will emerge. Oh, wow. And <laughs> it is an extremely magical, strange, funny, clever, beautiful cinemascope. Production. Uh, I adore this film. I spent a lot of time with it recently for some reason that I'll expand upon at another date. <laughs> and that was the Cassandra Cat. The Cassandra Cat. Okay, we'll yeah. add that to our list. Um, I think for most people, um, and I can, I'm basing this purely on what's selling fast and, and kind of what's already sold out. I'm probably going to be drawn to the the kind of headline um, headline films, the newbies that have come out. There are there is a um, a tremendous amount that I have already penciled in. Um, where should we start with the newbies? I feel like Fire of Love for me. I feel like that's come up a lot in conversation. Are you? I've yeah, seen it. You've seen yeah, it. I have. Oh, and it is spectacular. Spectacular, and I think there are some screenings at Mifat IMAX. There is. There, yeah. So that was another tip I had: is that they've really changed for this year. There's a whole range of different venues, and one of those is IMAX. Yep. And the thought of seeing Mif at IMAX excites me greatly. Yeah. Well, this is a film with some spectacular footage of volcanoes in full flight, and mm. a couple of mad uh, volcanologists who <laughs> were hell bent on getting extremely up close and personal <laughs> with them and uh, the footage they captured is often astonishing and will be breathtaking on that IMAX screen. Mm. There's a few that um, – and films that I, I actually wasn't even sure about the film but I thought I just want to see this on on what is – I think what is it, the biggest screen in the Southern Hemisphere oh, or something crazy like that? Maybe it's the second or third. Yeah, okay. yeah, but yeah, there are some <laughs> bragging Hemisphere. rights there. It's, it's big. It's really big. Yeah. yeah. Um. We um we won't go into too much detail about this because this is definitely going to be a film we're going to both be chatting about in a in a few weeks time. But Flux Gourmet, Peter Strickland's new film, mm-hmm. we are big Peter fans here, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're going to be chatting with um, Peter in a few weeks time, and we will be reviewing Flux Gourmet. But if you do get a chance to see it at MIF, for sure book it in. I think it'd be a great one on the big screen. But it does get a general release early September. Yeah, though I think is MIF offering some wacky foodie experience. They, I think they might be. <laughs> that might be a very curious experience. I have seen the film, and if there is, if if they're doing some sort of expanded cinema thing with it, that's at all aligned with what's in that film. I think that could be very interesting <laughs> to attend. There is um, I do love that about um, festivals in general, where there's a tendency, you know, the whole thing of getting everyone together in a room, which we haven't been able to do for the no. last few years. Um, there's some some pretty special talks also happening. Um, something that I get excited about every year is uh, not that this is a talk specific, but um, here my eyes, which is where um, we've got uh, Chopper. Um, being soundtracked um, by Springtime and Mick Harvey. So I reckon that will be a really exciting one. The, I think there's some tickets still available. Um, great selection of talks this year. Have you booked in for any of the talks? I'm, I feel like there's, I haven't made my decision on exactly which one to go to. But I haven't yet. I, haven't, mm. I actually have to say I haven't quite clocked 
the, oh, the range okay. of talks offerings there. Yeah, one that stood out to me um, was Life and Death with Dignity on screen, which is happening at the Wheeler Centre. Um, and Emil Corton Wilson um, is going to be joined and uh, to talk a bit about the sort of the, the challenges and intimacies of capturing the end of life on screen. That is uh, a conversation that will probably link up heavily with his documentary Man on Earth, which um, I'll be talking about in more detail next week when I chat with him. But I would, I'm really keen to, to hear that myth talk. Um, of course, there's going to be Melbourne on Film, the book that we just reviewed before. Um, there's going to be a talk for that. Um, there's Yeah, there's lots of little things that are on the side of uh, the festival that I think are well worth checking out. Um, and also, I think it should be made, <laughs> we've got the Planetarium Showcase again. Have you have you gone along to that before? You know, I haven't yet. Mm. Um, though I have seen a bit of Full Dome film before and it is quite a, an experience. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's a, a, a lovely now annual feature of the program. Yes. Yeah, you've eyeballed some things there that are <laughs> part of that program. I have. I, I haven't actually made it to the Planetarium Showcase. I think every year I get overwhelmed by – I book in too many films – I think I'm going to be Superwoman and run between screenings and then I, things get um, abandoned. <laughs> well, you know, if you head out there, you, you're then also at the same site as one of the locations for one of the Melbourne on Film uh, classics, which is Mad Max. They of use course. the pumping station yes. uh, integrally in that film, <laughs> so that's fun. I do. I'm excited to, um, when we were talking before about seeing Melbourne on, on film, it's going to be really spooky when you watch those films on screen and then go straight out and you can kind of see them Well, let's say, say you take the elevator at uh, Parliament Station after a viewing of Ghosts of the Civil Dead at some point. That, that'll give you chills. <laughs> Undoubtedly. Um, but other newbies that we're excited about, I'm super, super excited about Triangle of Sadness. Um, have you seen that already? I've or? not. Oh, I'm very. I think that's definitely on my list. Um, the Khan Palm Door winner. It is, yeah. Ruben Osland. I'm a big fan of his work. Um, Decision to Leave. Uh, Park uh, Chan Wook's um, new film. And yes, that I'm looking forward to in a yes, big way. Yes, yeah. yes. I think that would be really excellent. Um, Three thousand years of longing. That's also on my list. I have seen that. I mean, it's sure mm. to get a, a release. It's George Miller's yeah. newest film. Um, Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba. Um, mm. It's a, a, a film about the joys of storytelling, really. Mm. Uh, it is a, a very reflexive film. Uh, and, uh, you know, at first it seems a little slight and it starts to have some layers that uh, emerge. And, um, yeah, I, I wound up really enjoying that. What about, um, have you seen David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future? I haven't, but oh. I have such a sense of anticipation. <laughs> Me too. I'm very, very excited to see that one. It's definitely on my list. So there's some smaller films that really stood out to me. Um, one Fine Morning, which is Mia Hansen Love's mm-hmm. new film. Uh, also, uh, Stars at Noon, which is the new Claire Denis film. Have you have you seen that yet? Uh, I've not, and it's not the only new Claire Denis film, is it? Because there's another there's more, about to um, get a release very shortly as well. The name uh, escapes me momentarily, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that um, just getting it, I remember every year I've done Myth, I felt very overwhelmed. But sometimes you'll see something really spectacular on screen because it's the third film you've seen out of six in a day, you kind of get to the point where you're like, 
weeks or months later you realise the magnitude or the resonance that you've had with the film. Have you had that experience? Oh, look, certainly. I mean, and, and equally, sometimes my best laid plans to see multiple films in a day will be scuppered by the first one I've seen. So it just <laughs> wipes me out. Yeah, sometimes yes. do need just to sit with a film as well. So. Yes, I think that's very important. So hearing about madly from one cinema to the next isn't really the aim of the game as far as I'm concerned. I no. Sometimes want to digest <laughs> Some of these films. One of them, um, another film that um, I'm very keen, and I've booked this in, and I can sell, see that it's selling fast, is Moonage Daydream, oh, which yes. is um, Fratton Morgan's new documentary, uh, described as an immersive kaleidoscopic trip through the art and music of iconic shapeshifter David Bowie. That is going to be tremendous. I think there is a screening at IMAX think, from memory. Yeah, I think there might be more than the one. Mm. Um, yeah, and I've, I've heard glow. Reviews. I mean, by <laughs> yes. all accounts, yes, it is uh, a very psychedelic experience. And we should note that that film is part of a um, bigger collection called Music on Film, which is getting presented by Triple R. Um, it's got a whole host of docos in there. Uh, Age of Rage, the Australian punk revolution, directed by Jennifer Ross. I'm very excited about that yeah, one. Yeah, me too. Mm. <laughs> I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, mainly focusing on Aussie punk from the 60s and 70s. Sorry, the 70s and 80s, not the 60s and 70s. Uh, what else is there? Meet Me in the Bathroom, which is more about sort of New York's early 2000s music scene, um, thinking, you know, the Strokes, Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, uh, LCD Sound System, that kind of that kind of jazz. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, Trouble in Mind. I have that booked in. That is directed by Ethan Cohen. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's Cohen's solo debut. Mm. Um and it's all about kind of, well, Jerry Lee Lewis. But um, I'm really kind of excited about this one, more so maybe for the director. I'm really curious when someone that you feel that you know so well on film is um, has some secret musical passion that you don't a know crush. about. <laughs> a crush. <laughs> a crush, if you will. Um, we also have Jane by Charlotte. Have you, oh, yep. se- have you seen this no, one? No, I've not. Oh, no. I thought you might have. No. Um, I'm really excited to see that. And once again, another debut, that's Charlotte Gainsbourg um, doing a a, a really interesting portrait of her mother, Jane Birkin. Um, Pub the movie, have you heard about this one? I have and I'm very keen to see this, having (laughs) witnessed Fred Negro's antics around Melbourne for the last (laughs) 20 plus years. Yes. Yeah. Um, On stage antics and cartoon antics in print and I was in, in press, um, I'm, which I, I think is long defunct now, is it? Or did it morph into other street press? I think I it might have, yeah. I'm not sure actually. And lots of um, uh, SB gig guides and, and I think there must have been some triple R connections there in the past as cartooning got around, still yes. does. <laughs> Very true. Um, yeah, there's, there's heaps in that. And I think um, especially seeing um, – I kind of love it when there's these special streams because you can basically put in a little collection. You can kind of um, come along to those those triple R um, presented music on film docos. There's a real great range of, of different music that you'll hear from that. Um, I suppose the other thing to mention is uh, Shorts. So I have the pleasure of hosting the Shorts Awards this year. That is happening next Thursday. Uh, so you should come along and say hi. I promise I, I won't bite. Uh, that's For me, I really love Shorts. Um, I suppose the reason I love it so much is that it, they're often so experimental. You know when, you, when you've just um, – 
you've got such a limited time and space in which to communicate your story and there's always so much packed in there so you get a real sense of someone's style and what they're most passionate about just kind of thrown together usually very artfully on screen and it's such a you get such a mix um, and you get to see a tremendous range of filmmaking um, across the the um, shorts awards so I hope that um, lots of people come along to that sometimes I think it's worth mentioning there might be some hesitation with people attending MIF this year in terms of the fact that we are still in the middle of a pandemic. Are we? <laughs> yes. Ah. <laughs> um, and that it's, you know, maybe some people aren't feeling that comfortable being in a, in a room full of strangers um, or even people they know, but a room full of people either yeah. way. Um, so I think it's worth noting that MIF Play has quite a considerable selection of films. Have you booked anything on MIF Play yet or had oh, a browser? Oh, I've browse not yet. It? I've really not got my head around what's on screen <laughs> and what, what to stream. Um, but yes. I, the, the MIF Play runs after the… That's correct, yeah. Yes. So it's kind of great in a lot of ways because what you can do is just keep a close eye on what's doing well, what you hear on the grapevine is worth checking out and then book that in for Miff Play. The tickets are available at the moment for Miff Play so you can already go through and select some things to watch. Um, but yeah, it does start after the festival and that is my understanding as well. We might and, have that wrong. And that probably opens the Miff experience, at least you know, some films and perhaps some uh, addenda uh, to people outside of the Melbourne it uh, does. metropolitan yeah. region because uh, yeah. it wouldn't be... I mean, geo-blocking doesn't really work outside of a, an entire nation. So, no. Um, yeah. People of Australia yeah. may enjoy myth, which I is think, nice, yeah. especially in an anniversary year. <laughs> Absolutely. And actually, I think that's something that's really important that has come up in the pandemic is a question of access. And, you know, for some people, uh, they're not able to get into the city. It's really difficult. Um, they might have access issues of, of another sort. But having things online, whether they're interstate or they're just not able to come into the city, I think is really excellent. And feeling a bit more part of the national film community, um, not just Melbourne, because there's lots of films that are having their debut in this festival, and that's super exciting. Um, so yeah, well, I feel like we've probably we've missed so many, haven't we? There's, I'll you have never a lot more to... shout outs. Yeah, I can let, do. let's Shall hear we? some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We well, still got time because for me, Ukraine is uh, a very important. Um, uh, well, I mean, it's hardly out of the news, is it? Um, there's mm. good reason for that. The, the Ukraine is suffering, and uh, it, it's it's there's a real sadness uh, that uh, you know, amongst so many greater sadnesses but the film industry was going great guns mm. and there are a couple of Ukrainian films that are in this year's program that I've seen already that I rate extremely highly mm. um, one of them is the new film by Valentin Vasyanovich called Reflection uh, which is a companion piece you could say to his film Atlantis that screened mm. at MIF or streamed at MIF a film. few years ago yes yeah. and that we and I say we, uh, as a co-curator of the Melbourne Cinematheque, we screened that. Yes. At, at, yeah. We actually put it on the big screen a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. It, this film's in really interesting dialogue with that because that one made a few years ago uh, was a speculative film set in 2025 at the end of the Russo-Ukrainian War, um, which uh, had barely begun as people understand it, though it had begun. Mm. Years earlier, yeah. um, and this one is set was has just been made, but was set in is set in 2014, and is, is similarly rigorous and beautiful, but mm. also heavy and intense. 
um, and a bit brutal, but also you know, a stunning work. What was the title film of that? Art. Reflection. It, the reflection. New one's called Reflection. Yeah, yeah. right. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay, I'm adding that to my list right now. <laughs> yeah, and another Ukrainian film that's uh, rather less heavy, but also highly recommended, is Pamphir, <laughs> which is set on a, uh, in the Carpathian Mountains near the Romanian and EU border. Much of it's set around preparations for a Ukrainian New Year's celebration, which is steeped in folklore. Mm. It's sort of a smuggling drama, small town corruption, mob sort of story. Um, and it's really, really wonderful and has a very charismatic protagonist who's sort of equal parts as Jean Renault and Ron Perlman. <laughs> know what I mean? I do yeah. know what you mean. I feel like that was a very evocative description. And that is P-A-M-F-I-R? Yeah. Yeah, Pamphy. Okay, yep. that's good to know. Um, oh, there's so many, there's so many excellent films. I think over the next few weeks, I'm sure we're going to throw around some some more recommendations. But that hopefully has provided uh, something of a, a starter pack yeah. <laughs> for what to book in. Um, yeah, you're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. On tonight's show, we talked about all things myth. Uh, we spoke with author and journalist Jenny Valentish about her chapter on Emma Kate Krogan's grungy university rom-com Love and Other Catastrophes from um, a recent collection of essays on Melbourne-made cinema titled Melbourne on Film, a cinema that defines our city. The book uh, will be launched this Saturday and you can head to myth.com.au for more information and to book your tickets. And sticking with all things Melbourne and film, this Friday night at Chapter House on Flinders Lane, there is a special screening of an 18-minute experimental film called Breath, the result of a three-year collaboration between Grace Ferguson and Rudy Williams. The film blends high and low fidelity material and combines observations filmed on Super 8 and digital formats, constructed to move in and out of alignment with Ferguson's combination of improvised and rehearsed recordings. Breath features performances by Madeleine Mills and Lillian Steiner. The event is also going to be followed by a live piano performance. For more info and to buy tickets, you can head to Eventbrite and search for Grace um, Ferguson and Rudy Williams screening of breath we'll also share a link on our social media account um look tonight we gave you a whole lot of recommendations um in fact too many to repeat um but you can always listen back to tonight's episode at rrr.org.au or via your favorite podcast app uh big thank you to our guests for tonight jenny valentish and to my fellow reviewer Cerise Howard um, and to Luke Lay for editing our podcast and managing our socials. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 